You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Hi, welcome to our podcast. My name is Rob. I'm part of the leadership team here at Oasis Church Bath. This is the second in our Advent series, Preparing for the Revolution. And today we're going to be thinking about how revolution comes from the margins. But before we do that, let's listen to a reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. On Sunday, June the 7th this year, Jen Reid attended a protest in the centre of Bristol. It was the first time in her 50 years that she'd done anything like this. Ordinarily, she would have been at home caring for her elderly parents. But not this time. She felt she needed to be there. As the protest unfolded, she found herself clambering up onto a concrete plinth and raising her fist in a black power salute. A photograph of this soon went viral and for a while Bristol featured on news programmes around the world. For decades the plinth had been the site of a statue of Edward Colston, the slave trader, whose money had funded several building projects in Bristol, notably the concert hall that bore his name. The statue had been torn down by a crowd which had gathered for a Black Lives Matter protest. And although charges for criminal damage have just been brought, the whole affair was actually remarkably peaceful. The removal of the statue was an expression of anger and frustration and achieved something which years of discussion and debate had failed to accomplish. It was a kind of revolution. And the story of Colston's statue illustrates an important truth. Revolution comes from the margins, from the overlooked and unnoticed, the powerless and the poor, relatively speaking. We see this working out time and again in the Black Lives Matter movement as ordinary people have stepped up and stepped out. 
in the Me Too movement as individual women have chosen to break the silence. Even clap for carers in its own way, one ordinary individual deciding that something should be done. Revolution comes from the margins. And so it should come as no surprise that the story of the greatest revolution of all begins there too. Not in the great metropolitan centre of Jerusalem in the south, but Galilee in the north. We're conscious in our country of a north-south divide which has been highlighted and perhaps exacerbated by the pandemic. This was true of first century Palestine. Nathaniel's comment recorded in John's Gospel was typical. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Galilee was right on the edge, geographically, socially, economically, culturally. And yet it is here that Gabriel is sent to a young girl called Mary. We don't know too much about her, from a humble village, perhaps relatively poor. But she was betrothed to a carpenter, so within her normal frame of reference, life was looking okay. She was well set to find her place in the world. But then all of this is thrown into turmoil with the visit of Gabriel and her acquiescence. May it be to me as you have said. And whatever her social status prior to Gabriel's visit, there can be no doubt about where she stood when the pregnancy became known. It's hard for us to comprehend the utter disgrace. But make no mistake, this was serious. In a culture where honour killing was not unheard of, Mary's life was in danger. Which is why Luke reports her travelling alone across the countryside in haste to her cousin Elizabeth. She was being sent away for her own protection, while the families desperately tried to figure out what to do. And so imagine her relief at Mary's greeting. Blessed are you among women. The first person in some time whose response to her has not been disbelief, judgment, disgust, anger. So for Mary, embracing the revolution has pushed her even further to the margins. And we see this too in Luke's telling of the birth narrative. One of my favourite Christmas storybooks is the one about the grumpy innkeeper who has to keep coming downstairs from his bed to tell all the visitors that the baby Jesus is round the back in the stable. It's brilliantly illustrated and it's great fun, but it bears no relation to what actually happened. Joseph and Mary had travelled to his ancestral home in Bethlehem, and so his relatives would have been duty-bound to accommodate them. No question about that, despite all their misgivings about Mary. But it's clear they weren't going to go beyond the bare minimum that duty required. And so this heavily pregnant girl ends up sleeping downstairs with the animals, pushed to the margins of her family and community. This is Mary's burden, one which she probably carried in one way or another for the rest of her life. And yet, as she and Elizabeth greet one another, she is able to rejoice in these great words of Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She recognises that she is blessed, 
despite all appearances to the contrary and every rejection from her community, spoken or unspoken. If no one else will do it, she will pronounce blessing on herself. And that in itself is revolutionary in its own way. It's a defiant statement of faith. There is something else going on here, which is deeper and more profound. And that's how revolutions begin, with a sense that there is something more, something different, something other than the patterns and structures and narratives which are so familiar that they seem to be built into the fabric of things. In spite of everything, Mary proclaims herself blessed. And maybe that's where the revolution starts for us, in that defiant declaration that we are blessed. When so much about our culture, fed and nurtured by social media, would tell us the opposite, would encourage us to feel disappointed and hard done by, to feel that we're missing out. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. The Mighty One has done great things for me. It's not exactly the battle hymn of the Republic, but maybe it's more subversive than that. So Mary understands too that this is not just about her. She sees that the way in which God has chosen to come to his people's aid is indicative of what salvation looks like. The manner and the means are prophetic, pointing to what God will do as if it has already happened. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. If this is how it starts, with Mary in Galilee, it can only mean that revolution is on its way. The overturning of the present order, the great reversal. We've heard a lot in recent times about levelling up. Who knows whether that will turn out to be just another piece of rhetoric. But that's what Mary sees as the outworking of God's plan and purposes. Not simply the replacement of one elite, one power block with another, but a genuine levelling. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So revolution begins at the margins. It has to, because for all their good intentions, those at the centre have no real reason to change anything. So this can serve as an encouragement to us, I think, as we reflect on this story and those many stories of individuals who have been the catalyst for change. We may feel powerless, insignificant, weak, but we can make a difference. Maybe the revolution for us will be limited in its scope to our neighbourhood, our workplace, perhaps within our families. Or maybe we'll find that our willingness to join with Mary in saying yes to God's purposes will connect with others and something bigger will emerge. But there is also an edge to this because revolution not only, not only begins at the margins, it can also push us further out. We may feel relatively insignificant, but I suspect that many of us are still live closer to the centre than to the margins. We're relatively wealthy, educated and articulate, with stable relationships. Not true for all of us, of course, but perhaps for many of us who are listening in. 
And so we may find that embracing the Advent revolution is uncomfortable and challenging as it pushes us further to the margins and away from the safe centre. Over the past two or three years, our church community has undergone significant change as we have joined Oasis and then appointed Joe as our hub leader. We have committed ourselves to exploring and express, expressing inclusion, seeking to be a place of welcome for anyone and everyone. It's been really exciting to take these steps and I have no doubt about the rightness of these decisions. It's hard now to see how it could ever be any different. But I'm an ordained Baptist minister, currently designated as retired. I'm conscious that if I were to feel called back into pastoral leadership in a church, it might be difficult to find a church which would be prepared to have me as their minister. And before the pandemic closed down, closed things down, I had noticed that invitations to preach at other churches seemed to have dried up. Maybe that's just a coincidence. Perhaps they've just realised there are better options out there. But I suspect, and in one case I know, that they're no longer comfortable having me leading their services. I realise that this is very low level compared to experiences of genuine prejudice and exclusion. But I do feel sad at the loss of opportunity and of relationships which feel like they've ended prematurely. So revolution begins at the margins and it will sometimes push us further out, away from the centre, but deeper into the purposes of God, which is the best place to be. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.